It's good that the Lord knows these things, isn't it? It's me, um, and it's good to be good to be with you. All good to be uh, preaching. Good to be speaking from Psalm 42. If you've got that um, with you, uh, please do uh, open that back up. It'd be really helpful to have that as we work our way uh, through this psalm together this morning. Now, we seem to have had a a growing number of people here at Great Vic um, over recent uh, months and years doing crazy things, crazy things like triathlons, crazy things like marathons. Why people put themselves through these things, I have no idea, but that's beside the point. Even our esteemed pastor and his wife have well and truly caught the triathlon bug, haven't they? And here's uh, something that you'll notice uh, right along the course as you watch a triathlon or a marathon. Right across any of these kind of courses, what you normally see, don't you, is people handing out bottle upon bottle of water or people drinking from their own bottles of water. See, as triathletes or runners or whoever complete their exhausting race, Because of what they're having to endure, what they're having to put themselves through, they're weary, they're tired, they're worn down. And there is one thing that they and the organizers who put on these kind of events know will bring refreshment, will bring life, will bring help and strength to them as they finish the race. Or having finally finished the race, give them strength to shuffle through the finishing area and go pick up their things. And that thing is water. And I begin this way this morning because that is the kind of imagery our psalm, Psalm 42, that we're looking at this morning opens with. If you've got a Bible open there in front of you, look at those first two verses again with me. They're so well known, aren't they? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, as we're going to find out as we work our way through this psalm together now, the psalmist is writing these words not as he's parched, weary, worn down because of physical exertion, like from competing in a triathlon or a marathon, but instead because he is in a very real way emotionally, and we would say spiritually, parched, weary, worn down. And so feeling that, what does he long for? What is his soul desperate for? Well, like that water for the runner or the triathlete, he longs for the one thing that he knows will revitalize him, will give him strength, will give him hope, help in his times of trouble. And we can see right from the start of our psalm, he knows exactly what that one thing is. For him, it isn't this water, is it? But it is God. Look how he puts it in verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, spiritually, parched, weary, worn down, tired, the psalmist cries out to God, doesn't he? Knowing that it is in him that he will find the hope, find the help, the refreshment 
the life-giving water, as it were, to keep him going. And so as we see this, and as we begin this morning, here's the question I think for us as we come to this psalm. Do you ever feel like the psalmist does here? Emotionally, spiritually, parched, weary, worn down, tired. Perhaps some of you are sitting there this morning and feeling exactly those things. Well, if that is you or has ever been you, let me just encourage you that you are not alone. See, as Christians, our walk with the Lord doesn't always feel like it is on this upward trajectory. Even as we deep down know that the Lord is still with us and at work, there can be very real times in our lives when bombarded with all the different things that life throws at us, we can begin to feel like that. We can begin to feel spiritually weary. We're broken even, wondering how we're going to get through the next day, let alone the next week or the next month or year. Well, as I say, if any of that feels like how you are feeling this morning, this psalm, I think, is going to give some really helpful words for you to take up for yourself. It right from the start, and then even throughout, is going to say this to every single one of us this morning. Keep turning to God to find hope and help in him. Keep turning to him to find hope and help to keep on going, even amidst desperate, seemingly desperate situations that sometimes we can find ourselves in, even amongst our darkest moments. So let's get back into the passage again now and see this. And see, first of all, then something more of this desperate situation that the psalmist seems to find himself in. Having called out to God in verses 1 and 2 that we've read, there at the end of verse 2, I think, we begin to see this situation. We begin to see why he's calling out. This begins, I think, with that question at the end of verse 2, if you look with me there. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? As the psalmist writes these words, perhaps he finds himself, as we'll see from verse 6, physically absent from Jerusalem, from the people of God, from the temple. Maybe that's behind his question here. But actually, I think perhaps there's something else. If you have got a Bible in with you, you might notice that there's a little footnote beside the end of verse 2. And it offers an alternative translation. I think this is the more literal translation. When shall I come and see the face of of God. That is, more than just when shall I come to the physical temple and worship God again, instead I think it shows something deeper. More this, when shall I come and know again the presence of God close to me? When shall I see his face? That is, when shall I know his goodness and his love, as it were, again in my life? Because there in verse 3, if you look on with me, we see the day-by-day reality that the psalmist seems to find himself in. Look there with me. He writes, my tears have been my food day and night. From what we read here, what's the psalmist's situation? Well, it seems from his language that all he currently knows is tears. Perhaps you know something of that. Remember back in verses 1 and 2, he's been crying out, hasn't he? He's been crying out for these flowing streams from God, these water that will refresh him. And yet, what does he find? 
only flowing tears of water from within. Interesting, the word for food there in the original language in verse 3 is the same word as bread. Reminds you, doesn't it, of bread from heaven that the Lord sent for his people when they were in the wilderness. And yet it's almost like the psalmist is saying here, I'm just not seeing that kind of provision at the moment. My food just seems to be day after day, night after night, these tears, never-ending tears. Now, we don't know the specifics here, although we'll get into a few more details as we look on through the psalm. But for now, it's worth noticing and recognizing that the way the psalmist is talking here that whatever he is going through, it is life-alteringly, life-definingly difficult, isn't it? Painful. This is no, I'm kind of just a bit sad about what happened last weekend. No, this is a deep sorrow. A sorrow that seems to, from his language, just leave him crying, even through the depths of the night. Again, no skirting around the edges here. As we see this, it's worth saying, isn't it, that this kind of depth of sorrow, this kind of pain and hardship, it does seem to be a reality that in all likelihood, all of us will have either already gone through at some point in our lives, might be going through at the moment, or might well face in the future. Now that's Definitely true that for some of us, that pain, that grief, it will reach deeper places than for others. But the reality is that we all live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world where tears do regularly flow, even for those of us who are part of God's people. Perhaps the psalmist's words here strike a chord with you even right now. Let me just say again, you are not alone. And stick with me as we continue on because there really is hope to come. But for now, let's continue to see what else forms part of the psalmist's desperate situation. And look with me now to the second half of verse 3 because we see there that not only is the psalmist in tears day and night, but to make matters worse, those around him are mocking him. We read there that they were saying to him all the day long, where is your God. Whatever this psalmist is going through, and again, we can't be sure, here's the situation he finds himself in. Life is not going well. He doesn't in any way seem to be enjoying and resting in that blessing that that he feels he had previously. And what do those around him say then? Seeing what he's doing, what he's going through, well, they say, you talk about your God. Your mighty, good God. Well, where is he now? Your God. I'm glad he's not my God, if this is what you're going to end up in. And this must have only served to give more reason for tears for the psalmist, right? Already sorrowful, mourning. Now that's added to by these taunts that he's facing all the day long, never letting up, people incessantly mocking, jeering, taunting him. Now, did these questions also lead to the psalmist himself questioning where God was amongst his apparent suffering? You'd imagine it might have, right? Down in verse 9, he he uses some kind of language to to reflect that, of God forgetting him. Given what he's going through, is God still really there? 
After all, as we see in verse 4, not only is it the people are all around him are mocking him, he also seems to find himself either physically or metaphorically alone. Look at verse 4 with me. As bowed low, he wipes away these unending tears and listens to these unending talks. He remembers a very different time, doesn't he? A time when, as he puts it, he would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, these were joyous, happy times. These were times when the psalmist did come and see and know the face of God, know his goodness to him as he worshipped him with all the rest of God's people. And the contrast here of these past glad shouts, joy, and songs of praise, well, that couldn't be much starker, could it, with his present seemingly lonely situation with tears flowing both day and night. And so we might, along with his mockers and perhaps the psalmist himself, say, well then, where is God? Is he still with the psalmist? Certainly how the psalmist began the the psalm, he at the very least feels some kind of distance, doesn't he, from God as he calls out to him. And as we said at the beginning, there's no doubt that there are many of us here this morning who at some point in our lives have found ourselves in similar situations. Where before you loudly and joyfully spoke of the work of God, enjoyed his goodness and blessing, you enjoyed coming together like this, the week in, week out fellowship with others at church and and singing praise to God. Well, then suddenly your world turned upside down one way or another. You found yourself or even find yourself now feeling very differently, overwhelmed, desperate, worn down. And in that, whether spoken or left unspoken, you know that others around you, perhaps, who you've spoken about God with before, well, they are saying, well, where is your God now? And whether you still continue to go with the crowd to the house of God, to church, or you're not able to at all, one way or the other, you certainly no longer find yourself leading or feeling like you're leading that procession, enjoying that close fellowship with others that you did before. Sorrow and grief now replace the previous glad shouts and songs of praise. Perhaps, given all of that, you know something of what the psalmist says in verse 5. Here's what he thinks. I think he sums up all that he's feeling. He asks this question, doesn't he, to himself, and it sums it all up. He basically describes his soul as cast down and in turmoil. That is, right at the core of his inner being, given all that we've seen, he's feeling low. We could maybe even use the language, he's feeling depressed. No brightness that he can see. And on top of that, there's this feeling of turmoil within him. Almost as if someone is getting a whisk and just stirring his emotions round and round again and again and again. So they never settle. Now I presume there's a spectrum to what we see the psalmist speaking of here, right? There may be some of us sitting here this morning who would say, yes, do you know, 100%, I completely understand. 
And there might be some of us who this morning wouldn't say, well, I'm not, I wouldn't go as far as this, but I, I think I do feel something of that, or I certainly have done at different points in my life. Low spirits, loneliness, day-to-day sorrow or sadness. So I guess wherever we might be on that spectrum at the moment, or wherever we found ourselves in the past, or wherever we might find ourselves in the future, I guess the big question is, what do we do in that kind of situation? Is there anything we can do? Or even, maybe better, is there anything that we can be doing amongst that sorrow, amongst that grief, amongst that pain? Well, into that question the psalmist speaks in verse 5, doesn't he? And fascinatingly, while we might expect him to, to once again turn and speak with God, he does something different, doesn't he? He turns and he speaks to himself. It's the first sign of madness, isn't it? Is this the first sign of the madness for the psalmist? Well, no, I think it's actually the first sign of gladness that we see in this psalm. Read with me verse 5 again. The psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In amongst the seemingly desperate situation the psalmist finds himself in, what does he do? Essentially, he preaches to himself, doesn't he? He looks inward and he says, listen, this might be a terrible situation that I find myself in, but I know something. I know that with God, this is not a hopeless one. As he asks himself those questions, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? As he asks those questions, you can sense, can't you, that he is forcing himself to remember that there are other realities in life that he has to hold on to. Not just the reality that he sees every day of these tears and turmoil. See, if his situation is, is what he spends all of his time dwelling on, thinking on, well, it's only leading one direction, isn't it? Seemingly down and down and down some more into an ever deeper spiral. But he says, no, I'm not going to let that continue. I need to remember something, and this is what I need to remember. This is not the end of my story. Why? Because I have God, and I can turn to him in amongst all that I'm going through. Amongst the tears and turmoil that we've seen up to this point, the second half of verse 5 is like the psalmist pulling out this matchbox, isn't it, in the darkness, and choosing even in that darkness, to strike a match and say, there is still light. There is still hope. A hope that burns deep within my heart because of my God and because of who he is. Look again at what he says to himself there in the second half of verse 5. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Here's the light in the darkness. As the psalmist turns to God, even amongst this desperate situation, what is it that gives him hope? What is it that gives him confidence that this is not the end of his story? 
that he will again praise God, as he says here? It's because he knows who the God is that he's hoping in. He knows what he's like, doesn't he? We see that if you look at the language of verse 5. First off, the psalmist, he goes on to describe God there, doesn't he, as his salvation. What gives the psalmist confidence and hope as he turns to God? That is, God is the one who will save. And he knows that because he knows it from God's past workings, doesn't he? God has a track record here. That's what we go on, isn't it? He's got a track record of saving his people, of reaching into the pit, reaching into the darkness and bringing them to the light. Just think of the greatest Old Testament example of this. The Israelites in Egypt, oppressed, enslaved. Many of those words that the psalmist has used, we could imagine those Israelites would have been saying, wouldn't they? The tears. But that wasn't the end for them, was it? Because they had God. Here's what Moses said to the people in Exodus 14, in that kind of situation that, again, the psalmist finds himself in here. Exodus 14, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And that is exactly what they saw, as they were mightily delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. And now you can imagine the psalmist, can't you, in some ways, saying the same thing. Fear not. Stand firm here. See the salvation of the Lord. God is a God of past salvation who will certainly also save his people now too. And so the psalmist is confident, isn't he, that with God still in the picture, his desperate situation It's not a hopeless situation. But then building on that, what about that other title that he uses at the end of verse 5? My God. Because that, in many ways, picks up on what we've just been saying, isn't it? About how God works for his people. In many ways, that little phrase is exactly why the psalmist can have hope amongst this hopeless, seemingly hopeless situation. Because the God he is hoping in is his God. His God, not just some mighty God out there who has done amazing things in the past, but a personal God who, as a psalmist calls out to him, will hear him and will act because he is for him. Again, the psalmist will have personal testimony of this in the past. Won't he? But he will also have other passages from Scripture in front of him, passages that give him great promises and remind him of this truth. Promises like found in Deuteronomy 31, first made to Joshua and the people as they were trembling on the way into the promised land. Promises like these, that the Lord would be with him, that he would never leave him or forsake him. As we see the example of the psalmist here then, how he turns to God to find hope and to find help in amidst tears and turmoil. What about for us this morning? What can we take away from what we see in this example, from what the psalmist is writing here? 
Well, I think a couple of things. First, though, and first and foremost, I think it presents this question to us. When we find ourselves in a similar situation to the psalmist, when all we know seems to be tears, when we're maybe being mocked, when we're feeling isolated, alone, cast down, in turmoil, when it feels like God is distant from us, where do we turn to for hope amidst the darkness? Where do you turn to for hope when all or any of those things are true for you? See, there are many different places we can turn to in this kind of situation, aren't there? Maybe we could decide, couldn't we? What I really need to do in this situation is just work a little bit harder. Work a little bit harder. And that will see me come out the other side in a better place than I'm in at the moment. Or maybe we throw ourselves to comfort food. Maybe we throw ourselves to self-pity. Maybe we throw ourselves to distraction. That's right around us in the world, isn't it? We lose ourselves, perhaps in a virtual world, where, well, those sorrows, those troubles, they can't catch up with me there. Or we lose ourselves on the social media world. Somewhere, by the way, we can actually pretend, well, I'm not going through all of that. That's not my life. No, I can put a best foot forward. Or maybe we could turn to something like meditation, freeing our minds of these troubles. Maybe we could turn to friends, to family. They, they can be of some help, can't they, as they come around us in these situations. But here's the thing. None of those things, even the better things amongst those things that I've just listed there, will stand the test of time. None of them will offer you the sure and steady hope that God will to anchor you, to strengthen you, to refresh you. So if you are a Christian here this morning, you really can be sure of this. Even when all you see around you seems to be darkness, you shall again praise your God your salvation and your God, if you will once again just keep looking to him, keep turning to him to find your hope. Just as the psalmist knew God as his salvation, so you too today can know him in exactly the same way. Even greater, of course, than knowing that physical salvation from the land of Egypt, from slavery, from the Israelites... If you are trusting in Christ this morning, you can be sure of this. You have been delivered spiritually from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. And that, no matter what is happening to you this morning, can never be taken away from you. You are God's and he is your salvation. He has worked that for you. That is a rock-solid hope and truth, isn't it, for us to turn to. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 8, and I think Steve also pointed us to this last week. Here is our rock-solid hope. Here is your rock-solid hope if you have Christ this morning. He writes in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that nothing in all creation, even a desperate situation like this, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has set his love on us in Christ. And that will never be taken away. As Paul says earlier, just a few verses earlier than that what I've just read, he picks up on that language of the psalmist, doesn't he? My God... Here's what he writes, if God is for us, God is for me, well, who can be against us? Who can be against me? That's the hope, the refreshing, the life-giving truth that we have as Christians here this morning. This is the hope that can give us confidence that no matter what comes our way, no matter how low you are feeling at the moment, no matter the turmoil within you, we shall again praise our God. Because, you know, that is ultimately what we will all end up doing for eternity, isn't it? Singing praise to our God, who is our salvation. Our God who was with us in the hard times and who was with us in the good times. And you know, as we will do that for eternity, even those greatest moments of joy, like we have pictured there in verse 4, right? Those greatest moments of praise, well, they will only be like a foretaste of what that eternity will, will be like when we are praising God forever, singing glad shouts, songs of praise to him. Is it then to this God who gives us this hope that you will turn amidst tears and turmoil, I urge you, do not go anywhere else. Maybe you can distract yourself for a while. Maybe family and friends can offer you a pick-me-up. But it is God, and God alone, who can make a seemingly desperate situation not ultimately a hopeless one. Here's how Rico Tice puts it in those videos from Hope Explored that we're watching together on a Wednesday Uh, Wednesday evenings at the moment. Here's what he says. As Christians, we can have a joyful expectation for the future based on true events in the past which changes everything about our present because it gives us hope. This is the Christian hope, isn't it? No matter what, we shall again praise our God, our salvation, And so we again and again just keep turning to him. And that leads us on to a second line of application then for us this morning, based on what we see the psalmist doing here. And that's this. Will you regularly, day by day, preach and speak gospel truths, truths about God to yourself, even amidst the tears and turmoil? Now, as I ask this question, I want to briefly draw in what we see from the second half of this psalm. Don't panic. We're not going to spend another 30 minutes in the second half. But I want us to notice something, something really striking, I think, as we work our way through just briefly this second half. 
think it's worth noting that as, as much as we might like it to be, see, verse 5, that hope-filled verse, it hasn't ultimately proved to be a quick fix for the psalmist, has it? The psalmist doesn't just speak verse 5 to himself and then the rest of the, ver- the, rest of the psalm is all joy and, and happiness. No. Just look, what we see in this second half resembles so much of what we've already seen. Even after verse 5, look at verse 6. The psalmist's soul is still cast down, and he remains distant in some way from God's people. Verse 7, we see this turmoil again, don't we, that he was speaking about, as the psalmist feels like it's wave upon wave that's crashing down over him. Verse 9, the psalmist still feels this distance, as it were, from God as he asks that question, my God, why have you forgotten me? And remember those mocking him that we spoke about in verse 3? Well, they're still here, taunting him. Taunting him in such a way that he almost feels like he can physically feel the hurt of that in his bones. Verse 5 hasn't been a quick fix for the psalmist, has it? His life's not all roses now. And it's very important for us, I think, to remember that too. As we do turn to God, as we do put our hope firmly in him, that is not going to instantly remove all of our troubles. In fact, it may never remove some of our trials or stop our tears. But I do want us to notice something else about these verses from 6 to 11. With the exception of verse 10, I think, we see the psalmist continually turning to and remembering God reminding himself of who God is and that he is at work in his life. Just again, glance with me as we work through these verses really quickly. Verse 6, just as he did in verse 5, what does he do? He remembers God. He looks to him as his soul is cast down. He remembers that God who he has hope in. Then verse 7, notice the repeated language here. It's interesting. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. How is this speaking truths about God to himself, you might ask, to help him? Strange, isn't it? Well, because even as he speaks, even in grief and pain, the psalmist is remembering this, isn't he? These things, these trials that are coming his way, are not coming outside of the will of God. He is above even those trials. And that ultimately is good news, isn't it? Because that means that the God who we know really is good and will work good for his people, well, he still really is in control. He's not reeling from all that we're facing, even if we're feeling like we're reeling. And then look at verse 8 with me. The psalmist, doesn't he, remembers more truths to help sustain him, keep him going amidst the tears and turmoil. He remembers, doesn't he, God's steadfast love towards him day by day. He remembers his song over him by night, surely here representing God's unfailing care and favor towards him at all times. And even at the end of the verse there, how does he speak of God? His life. He knows that it is God who sustains him, who keeps him day to day. And then what about verse 9? This feels almost, doesn't it, like it's the lowest point of the psalm. 
as he calls out, why have you forgotten me, to his God? But even here, notice two things. First, the fact that he is calling out to God. He's calling out to God because I think in this, he remembers and he knows he has a God who will hear him and who will answer him. Even here, in the darkest moments, he knows that God is listening. But then also, notice the introduction to this prayer. This deep prayer, out of the depths of his heart, despair. Look how he starts it. It's incredible, isn't it? He says, I say to God, my rock. This is the truth that the psalmist remembers, even in his darkest moment. As he calls out to God, he remembers this. My God is an unshakable, strong, rock Solid rock on whom I can stand, on whom I can have confidence that even as the waves break over me again and again and again, he will not let me go. He will hold me fast. And all of this takes him right back to where he was in verse 5 already, right? What do we see in verse 11? Exactly the same, speaking, preaching the good news of the gospel to himself. Just as before, he essentially says, listen, this might be a terrible situation that I find myself in, but I can be sure of this. I can have confidence in this. I can daily remind myself of this. This situation is not a hopeless one because I have God. A God who is above all of this. A God who is my salvation. A God who is my God. A God who will never let me go. Seeing this example from the psalmist is really powerful, isn't it? Will we look to follow after it in our lives? Will we, even as those waves come crashing down over us again and again, will we Keep turning to God, remembering who he is, knowing that his mighty hand can and will keep us from being pulled under. And will we keep remembering and clinging to this truth, that one day, that same mighty hand who right now is sustaining us, upholding us, keeping us, even amongst the storms of life, or one day that same mighty hand will lift us completely from those trials, from those waves, from those storms. One day, when the Lord brings us to himself, those tears, that turmoil, it will be gone forever. That is hope, isn't it? What we see here from the psalmist is what I think each of us needs to look to just do day by day. Whether we're currently going through similarly difficult times to the psalmist or not, we need to every single day speak gospel truths, speak gospel hope to ourselves. We need to read truths about God from his word. It will daily remind us of these truths, won't it? We need to remind ourselves of who our God is, the one we have hope in. This week here, why don't we, each of us, make verse... Verses 5 and 11. 
Write that down on a piece of paper, print it out, keep a Bible beside you, stick a, uh, a bookmark in it. Why don't you make these words what the first thing that you say as you wake up? Before you let all that the day holds, before that comes in and overwhelms your thoughts and, and all that you're doing, why don't we wake up, each of us, and say this to ourselves? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Imagine a week lived holding on to that truth above everything else. I cannot promise it will be a week free of tears, free of turmoil, but it will be a week standing on the solid rock who will hold you fast in amongst them. Let's this week call out to God. Call out to God for ourselves. And of course, we can call out to God for each other, can't we? As we encourage each other, we've got these prayer diaries. They have the names of all the members here. Why don't we pray this same prayer that we're praying for ourselves for each of us as we read through those names and pray? Let's pray that each of us would daily turn to God and daily know and rest in the hope that we have in him, a hope that will never be taken away. Let's pray. Lord God, this psalm in many ways is very real, feels very realistic. We, each of us, know just something of what this psalmist seems to be going through. Lord, we live in a fallen world where there are tears, where we feel weighed down, we feel worn down spiritually. Lord, please, would you help us to take up the words of the psalmist here? Would you help us to speak these truths to ourselves every single day, no matter what we're going through? Hope in God. Lord, we thank you that even in the darkness there is hope, there is light because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation that we find in him. And Lord, we thank you that you are our God that you are our God who hears our cries, who hears our cries even amongst the darkness. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are feeling in just the depths at the moment, Lord, please would you hear our cries. Please would you uphold us, sustain us with your mighty hand. Would we see your face again? Lord, and even as those, some of those tears and, and trials maybe don't completely disappear, Lord, would you help us to have hope, a hope that will sustain us to the end when we can look forward to being in your presence, when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more mourning. We thank you for that hope that we have. Please, will you hold us fast to that day we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to pick up on some of that kind of language as we sing our final song together now. This is, The Lord is my salvation. It has this little verse in here. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I will see the dawn 
of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Let's sing to the Lord who is our salvation together now.
hear these words from the end of the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.